and matters of the mind. Are you looking for answers, ideas, or just want someone to listen to you so you can vent? Join Dr. Peter Sacco as he discusses what matters most, issues that surround the mind. He gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to issues involving anger, depression, addictions, fear, anxiety, relationships, sex, abuse, bullying, and everything concerning you. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Well, hello there, and welcome to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. Glad to have you on our show and with us on our show today. Uh, that would be you, our listeners. We consider you as our guests each and every week. And I'm Dr. Peter Andersacco, and with me always is my co-host and producer, Todd Miller. How are you, Todd? Good morning. Yes, doing well. And, and guests, please don't make a mess. Don't, uh, don't, don't wreck the place. We invite you in every week and share some great information, but tidy up after yourselves, would you? Absolutely. We've been finding a lot of crumbs and <laughs> unpopped kernels of popcorn in between the cushions of the chairs. So, Yep. They do make themselves comfortable, don't they? Absolutely. So, question for anybody listening and for you, Todd. Uh, how familiar are you with bipolar depression? Most people oftentimes in the past have heard the term manic depression, but what about bipolar depression? Well, I think I may have talked about this on the show, or maybe I just it was a sidebar between you and I, but I was married to someone who um, suffered from what we thought was depression, but as it turned out, it was bipolar disorder. And um, finally, later in life, the, she's acknowledged it and, and is, is dealing with it. It was one of those things that it was culturally not acceptable to talk about, to deal with. Um, it was very much hidden away, and, and uh, so I'm glad because it really improves your quality of life when you um, remove the stigma for yourself and just say, hey, I've got it, I'm dealing with it, and let's move forward. Absolutely, and you know, a, a lot of folks uh, oftentimes get um, bipolar depression confused with other types of disorders. Um, I get this all the time, Todd, even from students of mine, they'll say, well, is it the same as schizophrenia? And the answer is absolutely no. The one thing that it does have in common with schizophrenia is that it is uh, an organic disease, uh, usually oftentimes uh, passed on in the genes in families where it has run in the past. And the one thing with it is definitely most individuals, if not all individuals, the best uh, way that they are able to function, cope, and I'm going to say even overcome, is definitely through medication, rehabilitation, therapy, and changing your lifestyle. It is one of those types of disorders that does need ongoing monitoring. Um, meds have to be looked at um, that they're working in the proper way that they're supposed to. They have to be, you know, reliable in that what they're designed for is doing the job with the client. And with that said, people with bipolar depression live normal, healthy, functioning lives once it's controlled. Yeah, and you know, unlike other types of depression where talk therapy may be more beneficial or um, you know, medication just may be used to stabilize the situation, um, we've learned from this situation that it's very much meds are an ongoing part of treatment for her and uh, it, it keeps things pretty stabilized. And then that's not saying there won't be uh, reoccurrences, but you know, you do what you can. Absolutely. And for those listening, 
you folks that have always wondered what it would be like or what it is like to be in the shoes of somebody with bipolar depression, because perhaps possibly you have a loved one and you're thinking, wow, why don't they just straighten up? Why aren't the meds working right? What is it really like to go there? Uh, we got a great guest today. I'm so excited to have him on. I've been waiting for a while to get him on. His name is Krish. Ram, also known as KS Ram, and he's the author of Warrior, The Bipolar Battle. And we come back, we're going to have him on our show. Excellent. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio, talk-radio.ca. Stick around, short break. We're coming back with more. The music you'll hear on Out of the Blue will be jazz for the most part. No specific styles or genres. Every piece of music is handpicked to deliver quality performances. Out of the Blue can be heard on rtds.ca, live Mondays, 1 to 3 p.m., and encore performances Tuesday to Friday, anytime on demand. It's the true spirit of jazz, a touch of everything and then some. Thanks for listening. I'm Larry Green. Peter Andrew Sacco, and do you have technological rage? Oh yeah, the new rage of anger. Download my new book today, Technological Rage, on my website, www.petersacco.com, and learn what technological rage is and how it is sweeping people today, leading to online dating anger, texting anger, and social online networking forums. Hmm, did you ever think you might get angry texting? Facebooking or online dating, maybe you never thought it would happen to you, or maybe you know somebody that has this and you just need to understand it a little more. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Welcome back to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind definitely matters to us. And as we said before, we went to break. You've got questions, you've got interests in any sort of subject matter relating to mental health issues, psychology issues, or just relationships and overall social functioning. Definitely keep your emails, comments, whatever you've got coming on Facebook. And I've seen some on Twitter, so that is pretty dang good. We're really happy about it. And so, as I said, before we were going to break, got a great guest. I've been trying to get him on for a while. And actually, we just kind of got him up really early. Another guest from California, but as he reminded us, all is good because he just got back from India. So he's actually at 9 p.m. his body time. So welcome to our show, <laughs> Krish Ram. How are you? Thank you. Welcome, welcome. And it's uh, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. The pleasure is all ours, young men, as we like to say here. So, Chris, um, we were talking about bipolar depression and myself you know as a psychologist now removed out of the practice and kind of out in the lecturing field and writing field back in my day when I first started out it was manic depression and then the shift went to bipolar depression so I guess the first place to start is um, you were diagnosed back in 2002 with the disorder correct 
That's correct. Now, you know, doctor, I actually prefer to use the word manic depression. I mean, that's really what it is. It's more descriptive. Um, and my personal belief is renaming a, uh, an issue uh, isn't the best way to tackle stigma. So I prefer to call it exactly what it is, which is manic depression. Yes, I was diagnosed in 2002. Eventually, um, there was a wrong diagnosis in the year 2000. They had me down as depression. Uh, and uh, if you, you said you were a psychologist, uh, you can't treat depression the same as manic depression. It puts you into a tailspin. Uh, rather tough to diagnose, uh, but once they had me down pat, uh, the medication did help. So let me ask you this then, Chris. Okay, how old were you? <laughs> we're getting it really personal. How old were you in 2002? <laughs> so I was I was 27 in 2002. But the you know the symptoms started coming at the age of 25, which is typically where uh, bipolar or manic depression starts manifesting. Uh, young adult. Um, that's that's really when it starts. In 2002, I was 27. And uh, I guess you could do a simple addition that tells you how old I am now. <laughs> 29. <laughs> yeah. So with that said, I guess the question that I have is because back in the day, having worked with individuals that have manic depression and then the whole gambit of different types of depression like dysthymia, chronic depression, situational depression, et cetera, et cetera, a lot of my clients used to see um, incidences and feel their manic episodes starting as young as their teens. And oftentimes it gets confused or mixed up with having um, ADHD, high, you know, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, or even sure, anxiety. Sure. Now, did you have any of those, uh, like those symptoms coming on That's in your you, adolescence? You actually mentioned, you mentioned anxiety. Now, you know, I've been, you know, I wrote a memoir, so there was a lot of uh, self-searching involved. And I've tried to look back at my college years, at my high school years, and I really do believe there were symptoms. Um, I was a very high-performing individual, uh, absolutely, life of the party, you name it. I was in sales and IBM back then. Um, I think it was disguised as simply being very intelligent or very uh, hyper in a way. Nobody ever told me that I could be manic-depressed. Uh, but it's interesting you mention anxiety because my first diagnosis in the year 2000 was actually an anxiety disorder. So my, uh, my local GP, not a psychiatrist, my local doctor said that I simply can't sit still. I'm not comfortable in a, cloud, in a crowd and I'm always acting. And I was diagnosed with anxiety and treated with antidepressants, which is actually very, very dangerous if you have manic depression. Um, manic depression is, uh, you know, cycles of being up and down and both need to be treated simultaneously. So these symptoms can be uh, sometimes misdiagnosed as anxiety, sometimes as depression, sometimes as ADHD, um, and that's dangerous. It really is. Uh, taking an upper when you're bipolar, only an upper, is really not the best treatment policy. So it's tough to diagnose. Uh, the doctors need to spend a lot of time with you. Your family needs to be aware. Uh, once diagnosed, it's okay, but to get to that point, I was lucky. It might be weird hearing this to say that I was lucky being diagnosed with manic depression, but it was caught fairly young, right? And uh, in the last 10 or 12 years, I've got so many coping mechanisms that I'm still young, and I have a wonderful way of coping with this, and I live a fabulous life. Um, many people go misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. It's amazing that you say that you, you feel lucky. Um, I... I would gather that there are so many other people that are, as you say, misdiagnosed or undiagnosed and are suffering because they just don't have a clue 
But my question to you would be, before you were officially diagnosed, you, you did say you do felt uncomfortable in crowds. Did you have a sense that something was wrong, that there was just something that wasn't clicking? Absolutely, you know, and uh, again, on the outside, everything was okay. I was working, uh, I had graduated uh, my from Purdue University with an undergrad. I was working at IBM, had the fancy suits, had the fancy car, had a good salary. On the outside, everything was okay. On the inside, I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, right? Mm -hmm. I had, uh, you could put me on stage in front of 10,000 people, I could give a talk. I was acting, but if you put me one-on-one, -on -one, in a conversation, I would melt down. I would have a panic attack. I had social anxiety. Um, now, this is very common. Uh, I'm not proud of it, but you do end up self-medicating with alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. When you're uncomfortable in your own skin, when your moods are all over the place, when you're up, you're down, you don't know what's wrong with you, alcohol becomes a bit of a crutch. Um, and this is common of many, many people diagnosed with many uh, subcategories of mental illness or mental health issues, as I like to call them. Totally like the word mental illness. But for definitely, um, even before I was diagnosed with anxiety, and then before I was diagnosed correctly with bipolar, I certainly felt there was something wrong in my life. Something just wasn't clicking, like you said. So I guess then, once you realize this, Chris, and it's kind of interesting because we were talking about this last week. We had a guest... Um, an expert speaking on autism and Asperger's, how sometimes individuals can go many, many, many years, even getting to their teens and adult years, and then realize, hey, there's absolutely something different um, with me going on. And I think this is the case with a lot of individuals that, you know, have um, mental health disorders in the fact that they've had it for so long. They think that this is the norm. They think, Sure. Like this, this, this is how it's always been. And then I think when they start doing, if you want to call them mental comparisons or even verbal comparisons with people, where they actually start to talk about it. And I think this is one of the greatest things ever with the Internet. You know, has a lot of great things uh, where people can go on discussion forums, message boards, and basically WebMD and diagnose their own situations, their issues. And I think a lot of them have realized, hey, there really is something I think different with me. I, perhaps I do have a chemical imbalance and I need it straightened out. At that point there, Krish, when you're feeling not yourself, where you're saying, hey, I can act in front of 10,000 people, but socially I feel inept one-on-one because -on -one I have this anxiety, where do you go from there? Well, again, you know, uh, as odd as it sounds, I was lucky. Uh, I was very close to my, my doctor. She was a friend of the family. She used to see me two or three times a week in social environments, um, and she called it. Now, in the first couple of chapters of my book, you know, I've actually got a scene where she uh, came up and told me that there's something wrong with you. You have an anxiety disorder. I swear, Dr. Sacker, it was like somebody had dropped a bomb in my head. <laughs> you know, of all the people, of all the things, me being diagnosed as mentally ill, and I, I came back and I lashed out and I said, there's something wrong with you. Um, I am a high-performing individual. I have no issues with people. Go talk to somebody else. It took me time to accept the fact that there was something wrong. Now, you see this. You mentioned a, a variety of things, Asperger's, autism, bipolar. Now, there's two kinds of bipolar. And again, I was fortunate that I had bipolar two, right? Now, bipolar one is your typical manic depression that people hear about, but you're high for six months. Then you hit a low spot of uh, maybe you get depressed for a month or two months. Well, those high spots are pretty addictive because you're very, very high performing. You can be very creative. Um, a lot of 
highly performing individuals in the corporate world are in fact what I consider be bipolar one. Now, in my case, I had bipolar two, where number one, you're trending on the lower end, you're pretty much feeling like crap all the time, you're depressed. And if you do have mood swings, you fluctuate on a daily basis. So you're going from up to down to medium to up to down to medium on a daily basis, and that's no fun. You really, really want to get better. Um, there's people who say that you can channel the highs of manic depression and you can channel the lows. Sure. Now, my path has always been I just want to live a normal life, right? I don't want to be like, uh, let's say, Da Vinci, for example, who's painting beautiful, beautiful things for the world, but not living a good life at all. There's so many artists who have committed suicide. They've given a lot to the world, but what happened to their own quality of life? Um, like I said, I was, again, fortunate. I was diagnosed young. There were people around me who could help. My family was very, very supportive. Um, and uh, on a practical note, I was working for IBM, and, you know, they had good insurance. So these are all blessings in my life, right? It's better to be diagnosed early and young and to be treated and to learn to live a good life as opposed to being very creative, very high-performing, and now you're 45 or 50, and somebody comes up and tells you that you're bipolar. Well, half your life is gone. So how do you, unlike, I guess, other types of mental illness that, that can potentially be lessened or, or integrated into daily life, being manic-depressive requires, I guess, some planning on your part or preparedness, because from what I understand, there's always a likelihood that it could come back. So how does that, what, what sort of uh, plans do you put in place, or do you just sort of deal with it when it, when it rears its head? No, no, no. There's absolutely no dealing with it when it hears his head. You know, my book is called Warrior, the Bipolar Battle, because I'm a martial artist as well. So I teach Tai Chi. I've done Muay Thai boxing. I've done hand-to-hand -hand combat, the Bruce Lee system. There's a lot of parallels here between training for a fight and dealing with something like bipolar. <clears throat> when you're in the ring, it comes down to all the instinct, right? You, you don't have time to think if you're boxing against somebody else. It goes back to your training. If you don't train, you can't really fight the battle. And when you're not fighting the battle, you can't sit on your butt and relax. You have to keep training even in times of peacetime. So there's no just dealing with it. I've learned now, guys, to understand my system completely. This took me three or four or five years, which is why we actually have a book. Um, I traveled across the world finding different methods to deal with mood swings and understand my system completely, right? So I've got what I call my warrior's weapons toolkit. Um, medication is still a part of it. I'm not going to ever tell anybody whether I take medication or not. Let's just say it depends. Um, initially, before I started this quest of mine, I became stable through medication. Uh, the psychiatrist and the doctors helped me understand when the ups were coming, when the downs would come, and to modify my medicines appropriately. Now, these days I do a lot of it naturally. So it, it's, it comes down to understanding my my biological rhythm um the the moon phases can have an effect on you i've kept mood charts now for the last 10 or 11 years i'm, I'm quite uh, ocd about this uh, i've got a spreadsheet with daily mood charts going back 10 or 11 years so i can analyze this i know my system i know when i could be getting into a depressive phase i know when i could be getting into a manic phase and now there's ways to deal with it, whether it's exercise, whether it's yoga, whether it's Tai Chi, it's the right nutrition, it's journaling, it's taking care of my health, it's staying away from alcohol and drugs, right? So 
many, many different aspects, not one clear answer. But I think the key word that you said here was that, uh, at least at the moment, there is no permanent cure for bipolar. In fact, I don't even know what causes it. And I'm past, really, the point of caring. Uh, as long as I can manage it and live a good, productive, entirely, quote-unquote, normal life, I'm satisfied. I'm not sure if that answered your question, but oh. it's a complicated question with a complex answer. Um, I think it. I think it really does, and I think even more it answered. You know, with the tools that you're using, whether they're self-made, I think it would provide people with. I think an indicator, like you said, that something is coming versus feeling awful for weeks or months, and then finally going to your GP and saying. There's something wrong. I'm just not feeling great. And you've got it down to a science now where you can probably within a day or two know, oh, something's happening. I, I can see something trending. Absolutely. And, you know, if it doesn't happen before it comes, a lot of times now I get indications even before it's coming. And some of them are quite practical, right? I mean, if you plonk me into, uh, I used to live in Pai, which is a little mountain town in, in Thailand. That's where I wrote this book. Very relaxed environment, right? Very conducive to healing. Now, I moved from there to Bombay to test myself. Now, let's be very logical here. If you move from a mountain town in the hills to a city like Bombay, your system is going to be in shock, right? It's going to be stressful. There's noise. There's pollution. Um, I'm out of my comfort zone. So you have an indication that something could come. Now, that's the advanced indication. Now, more and more, if, it, if I don't catch it in advance, um, if I get a depressive episode or I get a manic episode, like you said, within a couple of days, you realize there's something wrong with your system, right? right. Either you tweak medication or you, if you're up, you start doing things that are going to bring you down, like running, uh, tai chi, kung fu. If you're in a, in a lower phase, you do things that bring you up. All the times it's the same things. Running, for example, exercise. Exercise is so underrated. Mm. Um, going for a jog releases the right chemicals in your brain. If you're going high, it's going to bring you down. You physically get tired. It sounds uh, counterintuitive, but if you're down, if you're depressed, even looking at your bookcase to rearrange your books could be overwhelming. But that's when you have to push yourself. You go for a jog. You go for a walk. Something as simple as that. As that will help release the right chemicals for your brain. Breathing is going to make you feel better, and you will feel better. So, Chris, let me ask you this, because I, I usually get this, and I, somebody had wanted me to ask you this question um, because they had something similar. In our, in our domain, we used to refer to it as a concurrent disorder, where oftentimes you know, there is a substance abuse factor involved along with um, the disorder itself. But did you find that your anxiety would set the manic episodes off? Did you use the mania as a way of coping with the anxiety? Almost like somebody who obsess becomes obsessive compulsive where they engage in repetitious stuff over and over where it actually stresses them out more because of the mania. Sure, I mean, that's, uh, mania can be very addictive, Dr. Sacco. You know, mania, in a way, can feel good until the crash comes down, right? Mm. Um, anxiety does not feel good. Depression does not feel good. Here's the danger of bipolar is that so many people refuse to take medication for bipolar or manic depression because some aspects of it do feel good. It's like a drug. Um, 
So I have, now we were talking 12 years ago when I was first diagnosed, or even before I was diagnosed, um, alcohol is self-medication. Now, alcohol while you're drinking or a drug while you're drinking could feel good, but the crash comes even worse, right? People call it a hangover. When you have a mental health issue, you're going to go into depression. Alcohol might feel good. It might feel like an upper, but let's face it, it's a depressant. Right? I mean, chemically, emotionally, medically, it's a depressant. It's going to put you down. So, yes, the OCD thing, I used to take notes obsessively. In fact, in a way, again, that's a blessing, which is why I have a book today. I wrote in my journal every single day, every single thing that happened to me while I was trying to get better. Now, I didn't have a choice. When I first started medication, I lost my memory. Um, I was on very heavy medication back in 2002. The goal was just to stabilize me. Nothing about getting better. Uh, my doctors, in fact, had told me, you won't even go back to the world. Let's forget about work. Let's forget about your MBA plans. Uh, you're going to be disabled pretty much for the rest of your life. Wow. Right? Now, I fought that. I call myself a fighter. I don't like it when people give me ultimatums. I go out of my way to prove something. But this, this obsessive note-taking came, across, came around because of the fact that I couldn't remember anything. So I would just write things down. If it was on a piece of paper, it had to be done. If it was crossed out, I don't think about it. Mm. But some of these coping mechanisms, like you, to go back to the question, I mean, the main root cause was anxiety. Now, obsessively taking notes is not really healthy either, right? You've gone into OCD now. Flipping myself into mania just to feel good for that one night, for that one day, isn't very healthy either. You're replacing one problem with a very with a whole set of other problems. Yeah, it makes sense because what you're doing, it's almost like, you know what, Chris? You see this in addictions where a person will say, okay, I'm going to get off my booze, but I'm going to up my smoking or I'm going to up my gambling or something. So you're basically taking from Peter to pay Paul and then you're, you know, you're paying it all the way down the line. We have to go to a break, but when we come back, uh, Chris, we're going to talk about your book, Warrior, The Bipolar Battle, a memoir, and how you're offering hope. And not only hope, but actually teaching people that they can live pretty good, productive lives. We'll be right back. Fantastic. Thanks. This is a book I'm definitely going to need to read. Take a short break. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio worldwide at talk-radio.ca. Buying or selling a home, condo, or investment property may be one of the largest transactions you'll ever make. It's important to gather as much information as you can, and preferably from experienced, successful professionals. When it comes time to make your move, call the Mulholland Ross Real Estate Team with Keller Williams Real Estate Service at 416-230-8500 or visit www.realestatetoronto.com. Whether you're making your first move or selling your much-loved family home, the Mulholland Ross Team offers over 26 years of real estate sales and service across the GTA. Listen every Sunday at 4 p.m. here on Radio That Doesn't Suck to hear the team share advice and information that will assist you with your personal wealth through real estate. Questions or topics you'd like to see covered? Email info at realestatetoronto.com or call the Mulholland Ross team at 416-230-8500. Welcome to my new book, Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths, which is not just a book about ghosts and haunted places, rather about history in the Niagara region. 
This book explores and uncovers parts of the Niagara region which are considered some of the richest in North American history and the most haunted. As a matter of fact, one of the bloodiest battles in North American history, the War of 1812, between the British and the Americans was fought here. And this year, the bicentennial year anniversary of the War of 1812 is covered in this book. This book explores most of the haunted places, legends that have existed from the 1800s right now to 2012. Each chapter covers a different type of landmark which not only educates readers on historical significances, but also entertains with anecdotal ghost stories and paranormal investigations. Join me in this book as we visit beds and breakfasts, ships and boats, trains, tunnels, museums, mansions, highways, forts, cemeteries, waterfalls, and many more, and see if the Niagara region is really haunted. Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths is now available at Indigo Chapters and online on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And visit our website, www.niagara'smosthaunted.com. Be afraid. Be very afraid. to Mental Health Matters with Dr. Peter Sacco on Radio That Doesn't Suck.com and RTDS.ca. Well, hello there and welcome back to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. And something before we jump back into our conversation with our awesome guest, Chris Ram, something that has always perturbed me. Anybody wants to ask me well, what one of my pet peeves are is when somebody says, it's all in your mind. Well, absolutely. Depression is in your mind because guess what? You have to live 24-7 with your mind. So don't think you're doing anybody any favors when you're saying, hey, it's all in your mind. Get over it because that is, in my humble opinion, a great disservice and insult to anybody who is suffering with a mental health uh, disorder. So we got a great guest, uh, Chris Ram, who is author of Warrior, the Bipolar Battle, a memoir of overcoming and dealing with his own manic depression. So, Chris... One of the things that we were talking about uh, during the commercial break is that you've got something that's really intriguing uh, because you are from India and you've done something that no other um, East Indian has ever done in terms of that's right. uh, awareness. And can you tell our listeners what that is? Well, I mean, we were talking about stigma you know, around the world. It, while stigma exists in the West, it's still much more open. I mean, let's face it. This is the year 2015. I will be, or I am, the first person of Indian origin in history. This is an ancient country. In history, to come out of the mental health, mental illness closet and say, guys, okay, I had bipolar, I had anxiety, I had depression, but it's okay. It's not a life sentence. You can deal with it. But this will be the first memoir on mental illness issues by somebody of Indian origin, which so I think, Chris, in a way, is inspiring, but it's also shameful. Uh, there why, should be why more. Is there, why is there such this um, bad outlook on it or stigma to it? Do they still view it? I know in some parts, in some, now I'm not going to say some parts of the world. I, I will say this in some coffee shops, in some schools in some shopping malls, wherever you work, in some houses, 
they still view it as being crazy. Is that what the stigma is about this? Pretty much, pretty much. So that's what it is. You know, in fact, they use. Uh, I'll, I'll share an anecdote with, anecdote with you. You know, I was I was married briefly. It was an arranged marriage, and that's part of the issue in India. The culture pays a lot of importance on getting married, right? Um, I'm not going to say everybody gets arranged marriage, but a lot of people do. And the fear is that if your son or if your daughter is called crazy or is ill, you won't get a proper mate. Um, what will the world say? Uh, but crazy is a word. My anecdote is I was living in a very small town up in northern India. Let's say uh, this was late 2008. Now, I was away from my American psychiatrist. I was low on medication. And the pressure of the marriage had got to me already by that point. This was about uh, three months before I left my marriage to set off on this quest. And I took a, a tuk-tuk, which is a three-wheeled auto rickshaw, to a doctor who was recommended to me by my friends in Mumbai. Now, Mumbai, Bombay, uh, does have many psychiatrists and mental health uh, practitioners. It's fairly good. Up north where I was, there was nothing. So I tell the, the, the taxi driver, the auto driver, where I was going. He turns around to me and he says in Hindi, uh, I'll give you the translation. He goes, <clears throat> why are you going here? It's only the crazy people who go there. You look perfectly normal to me. I started crying. I literally, there were tears in my eyes. I couldn't go forward. I had to go back home, compose myself, and then try this again. To this day, if you look at the Indian divorce laws, there's a clause in there that says that if a person suffers even from depression, he is legally called insane, and you can get a no-fault divorce without even going to court. <clears throat> it's archaic. It's absolutely backwards. Now, it is getting better. Uh, very recently, an Indian actress came out, and she said that she had suffered from depression. Uh, she was on medication. Now she's, she's, she's moving forward. So it is getting better. Um, Still, however, this is somebody who got better with medication, then she came out, right? There need to be more people who accept the fact that, okay, there might be something wrong with you, but it's okay. Some people have diabetes, right? Some people have a broken arm. What do you do? You take medication, you find ways to fix it. Bipolar is no longer anything that defines me. It's merely something I have. And I think that's the mental shift that needs to happen in places like India and places like Pakistan, even in, in, in America. There's still stigma here, guys. Do, uh, do you feel that there's any sexism at play with, with mental illness as well, no matter where you're from in the world, that as a man, typically you need to be, and this is based upon thousands of years of stereotypes where men are the strong, you know, warriors and it's it's a sign of weakness if you have some sort of mental illness or a mental challenge. You know, absolutely, absolutely. That's actually one of the reasons I call the book Warrior. It could be called many different things. It's called Warrior for a bunch of reasons. But again, I, I'm a man. We're not supposed to cry. We're not supposed to show emotions, right? Um, like you said, these are thousands of years of stereotypes, even from uh, childhood, uh, especially, again, coming back to India. Uh, I was bullied as a kid. Uh, no harm, it's made me who I am today. But if you cry, what's the first thing that people tell you? Don't be a girl. That's absolutely wrong, isn't it? I mean, I think men have emotions just as much as women. So yes, there's stereotypes, there's sexism. It's probably, uh, and you know, you know, let's not just let's not just say the sexism against men. The sexism against females also. Because what's going to happen? Uh, I'll be very, very uh, open here. So if if uh, if a woman has depression or she's having a mood swings. 
what do people, what's the, what's the first thing people say? Oh, you're emotional. Your hormones are off, right? It might be, you might be PMSing. These, the sexism that goes both ways, uh, but I do believe it's slightly tougher to come out of this mental health closet if you're a man. If you're a South Asian man, it's just not done. <laughs> well, then you have, to, you have to talk about your feelings as well, and that's something typically men don't do very well. Talking about my feelings and releasing feelings was the key to getting better. Um, there's a slightly metaphysical, you know, Eckhart Tolle uh, really talks about this much better than I did. Uh, my second teacher, I had four teachers throughout my quest. My second teacher uh, was an Eckhart Tolle therapist. And we did a lot of emotional releasing therapy. Um, but without even getting into the metaphysical side, very practically, if there's stuff that's bottled up in you, it will take your toll on your system. You can't keep acting. You have to be real. Now, whether you release these emotions through meditation, whether you go for a jog, whether you do martial arts, whether you journal, whether you talk to psychologists, it all comes down to facing what's inside, whether you're a man or a woman, right? And being open and talking about feelings. It feels good to get it out of your system. You know what, Krish, I'm glad you bring that up, man. You know, I think Todd touched upon it too, the fact that the stigma around it, um, and back in my day when I was do doing my undergrad, my master's, and eventually my PhD, we used to find um, going forward into my practice that the majority of, uh, we would call them consumers, that would show up to support groups and come in for one-on-one -on -one counseling were predominantly women uh, when it involved issues surrounding depression and anxiety. Because if you were a guy, you just definitely didn't talk about that kind of stuff. So I'd be running a, a, a support group for depression and anxiety, and I would have, you know, 10 folks, 12 folks in there, and one or two guys dressed are all women. And I think sure. what, you, what used to happen, what we would find too, is that you would find more women abusing pharmaceutical drugs and over-the-counter medication like downers. Uh, Gravol and Benadryl were two biggies to reduce anxiety and to also sleep, whereas guys turned to the bottle. And if you went to an AA group, you would see infinitely 90 to 95% guys in these where you'd have the odd woman in there because there was a stigma that a woman couldn't be a quote-unquote drunk in society because that would give her a bad rap. So I'm glad you touched upon that. And I think what's really great, which we have not too far away, and I'm sure you're going to be a big part of it, is Mental Health Awareness Week, Chris. What do you oh, hope right. that right. Yeah, what do you hope that your real story is going to bring to that and to bring to people out there? Well, I mean, you know, the ultimate goal is that my main message here, there's nothing new. Yes, I am able to live a fantastic life and so can everybody, right? If I am the warrior, so can everybody. We are all warriors. And my main message here, I mean, with Mental Health and, you know, Awareness Week, it's, it doesn't matter, guys. You could have depression. You could have bipolar. You could have schizophrenia. You can have anxiety. Don't be embarrassed about it. Don't hide it. Don't let it make it. Don't, don't make this your identity. It's merely something you have that can be treated, right? With Mental Health Awareness Week, we have to lose a stigma around mental illness and mental health. Um, it's just another chemical imbalance. That's all it is. Now, there's ways out of this, right? Uh, you, can, you, can, you can get better. 
With Mental Health Awareness Week coming up, um, yes, I am doing a couple of talks uh, in places. I'm hoping to get together um, in Indiana and actually put together a mental health awareness event just for foundations. Um, and that will be the first of its kind around the world. Very cool. But the main thing with Mental Health Awareness Week is, you, you know, you can't diagnose this thing within, uh, immediately. There may not be a cure immediately. My goal is that, my hope is that the cure comes one day. But Mental Health Awareness Week should get the word out that it's okay. It's okay to be ill. You can get better. It's simply something else. It's diabetes. People have people fall sick. This is a body, right? Um, the, and there's ways to treat it. Just don't be embarrassed about it. Don't be in the closet about it. Come out, be open, and hold your head up high. No matter whether you are ill or not, as a human being, hold your head up high and don't let anybody else put you down. Now, it is true that you, you were talking about that it is a, it's a physiological thing we're dealing with. And and there's a part of the stigma is that, that there there's a, a weakness that we're not able to control this, unlike breaking an arm where, you know, okay, we have to go to a professional and get it fixed. But I do agree with you also that... Uh, while there's not a cure, being physical, getting proper exercise um, can influence your symptoms as as you know as well as medication. But I think that's a key that that you do have some control over it, where you can get moving, get physical, get those endorphins going, so that you can positively impact and influence your moods. Sure, and I mean. Exercise uh, is nutrition is also a very key part of this. You know, I mean, we don't talk much about nutrition, but there's certain foods that can actually release chemicals in your brain. A banana in the morning releases as much dopamine as a Welbutrin, which is a uh, which is uh, uh, an antidepressant. Right? Mm -hmm. These things aren't very open. Six cashews in the morning, right, are the equivalent of a 20 milligram tablet of Prozac. Wow. Now. Yeah, you know, Prozac is very con something as simple as a smile can change the chemistry in your brain. Smiling, going and exercising will release the right chemicals in your brain and balance you out. But nutrition, we've already talked about feelings, right? Releasing your emotions, releasing feelings. Exercise is a go for a walk. I know, you know, it sounds easy to say, but when you're depressed, it's 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 tough to get out of bed sometimes. You know, I've, I myself, I've gone through this. I've looked at a bookshelf, which I had to clean up, and I fall into tears. I didn't know where to begin. This is many years ago. This is 10 years ago. It still hits. There's days I don't want to get out of bed. I push myself. If you want to get better, you're going to have to be what I call a warrior, right? You need to get that impetus to want to get better. And once you have that, the world is yours. Anything can be fixed. One of the, you, you mentioned that you have no control over this. I went to a Special Olympics uh, event the other day. Now, these are veterans in wheelchairs. Did they have control about the IED going off in Iraq? No, this wasn't planned. It went off, they lost both their legs. But did they sit around? No. They get in a wheelchair, they're playing basketball. Their upper bodies are absolutely fit, right? Mm. This, is, this is that will to get better, and that... I can't give it to you. You can't give it to somebody. That has to come from within. You just simply can't give up, right? And that comes from the fact that, like I said, I don't want to be special. I don't want to be a great artist. I don't want to be a great writer. I don't want to be a great businessman channeling my mania. 
I don't want to be a philosopher channeling the depression. I just want to live. Give me a normal life. Let me walk down to the coffee shop. Let me have this conversation with you on the phone. Now, this could have been impossible 10 years ago, five years ago. But here we are, right? Very simple goals. Very simple. I think you're absolutely right. You nail it on the head that life is, you know, 10% of what happens to me, but basically 90% of how I respond to it and I go forward. So we're just about out of time, Krish. So for anybody that wants to get a hold of your amazing book, and I definitely highly recommend this, especially for anyone who has a loved one with not only bipolar depression, but any type of depression, or if you're a student and you're studying any sort of psychology and you want to learn more about it, or if you're just a lay member of society and you want to know what what it's like to put you know the shoes on of an individual with bipolar depression uh, definitely read this book so how can they get this book Krish warrior the bipolar battle the book at the moment will be an Amazon exclusive uh, the ebook is released on April 30th that will be launch day I've made the paperback available already so this is on Amazon uh, America Amazon UK Amazon Canada you name it it's worldwide uh, and you just go and you search on Amazon for warrior the bipolar battle by K.S. Ram. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm very good at interacting with people and answering questions. Um, but mainly at the moment, if you need the book, it's going to be on Amazon, hopefully one day in bookshops and libraries and schools around the world. But for now, Amazon, uh, again, it's called Warrior, The Bipolar Battle by K.S. Ram. Well done, and I know Todd is going to put it up on our site, correct, Todd? Absolutely. I will have a blog post later today with directions on how to listen and, and get the book. And I had one final question that just popped into my head before we go. Quickly, what is it that separates people like you from someone who, who, who doesn't see the brighter side and who gives up? I mean, what, what is it? Can you, have you figured out what that is that makes someone want to keep getting up? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't want to say I'm special. I don't want to say I'm different. I believe this. I believe everybody has this in you. Um, perhaps my family. You know, my family did not let me lie down. Now, a lot of it comes from within. I've been a fighter all my life. In 2002, when my psychiatrist said that I won't go back to work, guess what? I worked my butt off for two years. I went back and I got my MBA. You know, I quote Rocky all the time. <laughs> my book opens with Rocky. And he says, it's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. It's how hard you get up off the floor. That's how winning is done. Now, I don't know if it's inbuilt in you, but there's people around you who need to push you as well, which is my hope. If I meet somebody who's finding it tough to, uh, you know, get off the bed, I'm going to try and put some hope into them and say, you can get up. You can live a life. People need to hear that. My family did not let me lie down. My mother, my sister, my brother-in-law, they kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me until I got the point where I pushed myself. But frankly, I was fed up with my marriage. Uh, I took a small suitcase, I left, and I simply wanted to get better. When you reach that point, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, they call it uh, rock bottom, right? Mm. You get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you want to find a way. And then when you have that will, the universe will give you the way to find the way. Yeah, and I think it that's gives you the key point. You definitely say, you know, enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you know what, Chris? I love the line. It's my favorite line from any movie of all time, yeah. the Rocky Balboa line, definitely. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us, my friend. Entirely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been, uh, it's been delightful. Stay tuned. A couple more minutes of Matters of the Mind coming up around the corner. Stay with us. You can talk to me. 
and welcome back to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind always matters to us. And for those listening, definitely uh, check out the, the links that Todd is putting up for Chris's book. I think it's a fabulous book. It's one of these books that I honestly, truly believe as a practi former practitioner and educator that this has been a long time coming, where you have individuals, and I think we need more people like Krish, um, those individuals that don't only look at themselves as survivors, but rather overcomers and that are living their dreams, even though they've had, uh, they would say these, uh, you know, and I think Joey Panoliano said it best, dis-ease, where they've been um, not easy, but at a disease, but they don't have the disease and they don't want to be classified as one. And I think this is a great book for everybody to check out. You know, we just keep coming back and hitting our heads upon this wall, and the wall is stigma. The wall is the impression that people have of this. And as I mentioned to Krish, that it's it's no different than breaking your arm or, or, as he said, you know, getting an illness or having diabetes. It's just something that happens to your body, and the only choice is to deal with it and fix it. And I don't. To the, for the life of me, I still don't understand why there's such um, a stigma or a difference of opinion when it concerns your mind. You know what it is, Todd, and I, I think I can sum it up in one word, and that word is control. And, you, you, and it's always been this way. I've learned it uh, when I was going doing my studies in university, I've learned it as a practitioner. And my greatest educators were my individuals that would come to support groups or one-on-one -on -one counseling, where they would tell me, it's Pete, it's all about mastering your mind. And we would explore this and talk about it. And it all boiled down to, if I can't control my own mind and my own thoughts, and my thoughts are quote unquote crazy, insane, bizarre. How the heck can you trust me with anything, including a business to run, working for a business, being a caregiver, or for that matter, can you even trust me with anybody's lives? Because I might botch that up if I can't even control my own. And I think, unfortunately, somewhere along the line, this mentality got ingrained in a lot of people's thinking where it became this terrible stigma that evolved out of this nonsense because the bottom of the you know the bottom line is is that everybody in their life will experience some sort of depression at some point in their life and they say generally at one in five to as many as one in four or have depression or anxiety at any given time so the bottom line is is everybody has their quote-unquote issues some have them more serious than others, but the key thing is, is you can overcome them with the proper help, the proper support, and the proper medication if need be. It's amazing because we as a society make so many um, accommodations for people struggling, you know, um, with various types of illnesses and, you know, uh, shortened work days, work from home. Uh, you know, we, we, we bend over backwards to accommodate people with certain types of illnesses. And yet when it comes to mental health, there's almost like a shunning when somebody comes out and says, I've had an issue. It's like there's whispers behind corridors and, you know, it just it's just a whole different ball of wax as they say absolutely and i you know unfortunately there's a stigma and thank god that we have mental health awareness week um each year and this year it is in may which is going to be a really uh good time i've, I've always liked it it's actually runs from may 11th to the 17th 
So you will uh, see a lot of this definitely online and a lot of social media. And for anybody out shopping, check out malls. I'm sure you're going to see booths there. And if you have an opportunity to contribute to it, or I think more importantly, learn from it, definitely be um, an educated listener. Absolutely, and, and share your stories and, and support support people with uh, with these with these debilitating issues. You know, however you can. And and Chris is now hopefully going to become a support uh, person for a lot of people who will pick up the book and learn that they're not alone and there's hope. Absolutely. And for those uh, tuning in, as always, we are so grateful for having you listening to us because of you. This makes our show possible. And definitely tune in next week. We've got a tremendous guest. Patricia Harmon, who's an author, she specializes in women's health and in midwifery, which is really cool because she started out delivering babies in cabins and on communal farms in West Virginia and later served as a nurse midwife in teaching hospitals and in community hospital birthing centers. So definitely, ladies, you got something really cool to listen to. Wow, very cool. All right, stick with us next Wednesday at 8 p.m. on Listen Up Talk Radio, talk-radio.ca is where you'll find us. We're on Twitter at Listen Up Talk and of course Facebook, Listen Up Talk Radio. Catch you right back here next Wednesday. You've been listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco. Reach him on his website, petersacco.com, or you can reach him through Listen Up at talk-radio.ca. We really thank you for listening. Reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash listen up talk radio, on Twitter at, at listen up talk. We'll catch you next week. You don't need no pictures. That man is not your man. And that's why I'm on.